This is the Dialogue Fireside series. Hello and welcome to those joining us here on Zoom and live on Facebook to Dialogue Firesides on April 18th, 2021. I'm Taylor Petrie conducting today on behalf of the Dialogue Foundation. Board members Michael Austin and Chris Kimball are also part of our group today. More than 50 years of dialogue content, articles, essays, poetry, and art is available online at dialoguejournal.com. These Dialogue Fireside sessions are posted on the Dialogue Journal YouTube channel and our podcast feed in your favorite podcast app and at dialoguejournal.com slash podcasts. We're so grateful for our dedicated audience, and if you're enjoying these events, please consider supporting Dialogue by subscription or donation at dialoguejournal.com slash subscribe. Tonight, we're pleased to hear from Rosie Card. Her remarks today are titled, Trusting Correct Principles and Governing Myself. Rosie Card is the CEO and founder of Q.Nor. I, I, I actually have never said that out loud, so I'm not sure if that's the right way to say it. The host of Q.More podcast and author of Model, Model Mormon and House of Light, Your Guide to the Temple. She's a devoted advocate of amplifying women's voices and roles within the church, improving church culture, and supporting our LGBTQ siblings. Rosemary lives in Salt Lake City with her two dogs, Ted and George. After Rosie's remarks, we'll be opening up for a Q&A, and we are running a webinar format, so we can't do live questions from the audience. However, you may submit comments on the chat, and I, along with others, will help to moderate those comments. We'll have an invocation by Abby Ryan, a junior at BYU studying political science and women's studies. She currently serves as the president of BYU Democrats. We'll then move immediately to our main presentation. And uh, at the end, our benediction is gonna be offered by Calvin Burke, an English major at Brigham Young University and media manager for Dialogue, a Journal of Mormon Thought. Abby. Thank you. Dear Heavenly Parents, we are so grateful at this time that we are able to hear from Rosemary Card and her words, and please bless that we will be able to be uplifted um, by the Spirit as we listen to her experiences and her knowledge, and please bless that we will be able to help those around us and support our LGBTQ siblings and friends, and please bless that we will be able to have a good rest of the Sabbath day and that we can turn our attention to the marginalized and those needing assistance at this time. And we ask for these things in the name of thy son, Jesus Christ, amen. All right, I'm assuming it's time for me to just take it away. Is that what we're doing? <laughs> Oh, I have to tell you guys that, you know, I know it's a cliche to say how humbled you are to speak somewhere, but um, I'm fairly new to the dialogue community. And um, I, when I was a teenager, I had this weird thing where for two years I worked as an international model. And that was in the early 2000s when being some level of a model was unique uh, because social media had not been invented. And so at an early age of 18, with just two years of a bizarre experience underneath my belt, I kicked off what would be a decade fireside tour. Um, I was lucky enough to speak to many, many young women's groups um, on and off for uh, more than a decade. Uh, and I stopped a couple of years ago because I, uh, started to get busier and I couldn't afford to um, speak and prepare as much. And I also just got really tired talking about a two year portion of my life and was excited about moving past that. Um, so I share that with you because I definitely feel like uh, after a couple years of not doing firesides, I have jumped very much into the deep end of the pool, um, speaking with dialogue. Um, so, I have nothing but great respect for this community and like the collective depth of knowledge that is here is 
immense and such a treasure to me. I really pray that uh, the, that the Lord will bless my words, uh, that it might be something beneficial to someone who's listening. I am a full believer that the great teacher is the spirit, and I'm confident in its ability to teach you something that you need to hear specifically. So I'll just start by introducing myself. Uh, my name is Rosemary Card. Other than a four-year period when my mom was going to university in New York to get an interior design degree, um, and these two years that I spent traveling as a teenager as a model, I am mostly Utah born and raised. Um, I'm the fourth in a family of five girls. I have two very um, devoted and active parents, a mother who has served in basically every capacity women are allowed to serve in at this point. Um, my dad has also spent his life quietly serving um, everyone around him, um, and he works in the correlation department at the church, which has led to some really fascinating Sunday dinner family discussions between the two of us. Um, but that, my Utah upbringing aside, uh, I have quite possibly what is the most Mormon resume anyone can have. After kicking off my college experience at um, the great university in St. George that is soon going to have a wonderful new name, uh, I transferred to BYU. I served a mission in Arizona. And when I came home from my mission, I started a job teaching at the MTC. And this time period where I taught at the MTC, uh, it was both a, an immense experience for real spiritual depth. I had had wonderful opportunities to have a pretty good understanding of what an 18, a 20, a 22 year old can understand of the gospel. And, but the MTC just gave me huge steps forward as I studied to try to teach these future missionaries. But I'm also at the same time, extremely haunted by that period of my life because there are people who may remember something that I taught and I'm terrified what it may have been, but um, I'm trying to bank on the chances are that they didn't remember anything and they have much bigger things to worry about. But this opportunity to really study gospel principles and, and gospel of doctrine at the MTC was so beneficial to me. Uh, there's a quote from Elder Bednar that is on a clip that the only way you can find it is if you're in the MTC video uh, library. And I'm very lucky that a follower's boyfriend works at the MTC currently and he got the script for me um, or he got it for me a couple of years ago when I reached out trying to find this quote, but um, it's very simple. Elder Bednar says, what is a doctrine? A gospel doctrine is a truth. It's a truth revealed by Heavenly Father to his children here upon the earth. And that revealed truth is pertinent to our eternal progression. Sometimes we think the doctrine is weird stuff, like where is Kolob and how long does it take to get there? That is not doctrine. Doctrine is simple, doctrine is fun, foundational, and doctor, doctrine is fundamental. That idea of doctrine being simple, foundational, and fundamental has been majorly helpful to me as, um, as I've grown up and my temp testimony has become more complicated, more intricate. Um, remembering those foundational truths has been so helpful to me. Another thing that I really studied while teaching at the MTC was um, personal revelation. For the first in my time in my life, I started asking myself questions like, how universal is Joseph Smith's experience um, seeking an answer to a prayer, receiving an answer that suddenly made him so different from all of his peers um, and so different than what his community says was good and acceptable. Um, up until that point in my life, the only way that I can, well, a way that I describe how I felt about following the prophet and personal revelation was when I was in fourth grade, I did the D.A.R.E. program. I don't know if it still exists, but a like six foot man in a, it could, actually it could have been a woman, but a person, really tall person in a full lion costume and like a black muscle tee came 
taught me about drugs and then had me write my little name on a clipboard. And he said, great, you made this decision now to not trade drugs. You never have to make this decision in your life again. And that's kind of how following the spirit or following the prophet felt like for me up until that point. I made a choice when I was young to follow the prophet. And, and that choice, it was done. Um, so as life got more complicated, I started to consider what does it mean if someone receives personal revelation that deviates in some way from what the prophet teaches. Um, a third thing that I spent a lot of time focusing on was being an agent who acts versus an object that is acted upon. I'm really sad about what is happening right now or what has happened to the Salt Lake Temple um, and, and potentially the Manti Temple as far as changes. Um, one of my favorite, favorite things about the live session was that sometimes the members serving in the different roles for the live session, there was just more freedom for actor interpretation and some of their delivery than what was afforded to actors in the films. And so I'm going to offer a little bit of like actor interpretation of an important part to me of the Adam and Eve story. Um, this of course is just, a, no, I'm not saying this is how it happened. I'm just saying this is my own interpretation and it's helpful to me. But the point that I wanna talk about um, is when Adam and Eve have partaken of the fruit, they hide, uh, God appears and calls them forward and kind of asks for an accounting of what had been done. Adam kind of pleads his case. He says, you know, you asked me to do this and then this happened. So I made this choice. Eve, Eve kind of just like lays it out there. Eve says like, look, this is what happened. I made a choice. And for me, she feels very willing and like ready to accept the, the consequences. To me, Eve owns her choice um, and is ready to move forward with it. The plan of salvation for me, like beginning to end, um, I see as a time to gain experience. Uh, I don't feel like I'm here to prove anything to anyone, or I try to not feel like I'm here to prove anything to anyone besides myself. Um, I'm working through a process while I'm here that was designed for my success. Um, so any choices, consequences, uh, contrasts of highs and lows are here to help me gain experience and really just move forward. And I think that's, that's something that I really learned from uh, Thomas McConkie. Thomas, I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with him. just a wonderful person. And he talks a lot about kind of zooming out and taking a wider pers perspective. Um, and that's been really helpful for me um, because it can, it can be really scary if it feels like that it's possible to exceed any type of limitation that the atonement offers. So um, after teaching at the MTC and having a wonderful experience there, I through just kind of like a pretty serendipitous experience, got a job at Bonneville Communication um, doing interviews and vetting for potential I'm a Mormon um, portrait. So I would get a member's information. I would contact them and set up an appointment. And then we would talk for sometimes like two hours. Um, and I would just get to know anything I could about them and their story. Uh, and then I would write up what I felt like a potential portrait or I'm a Mormon video could look like for them. That job was um, a wonderful experience. And because of that job, I was able to get a position at the church working in the video department. Um, and that again, gave me unique opportunities. And then um, about six, no, about seven years ago, I had this idea that I wanted to start an LDS temple dress company. I um, started my company and started having some great success. So I was able to leave my job at the church and focus, focus fully on QNOR. Um, so this is at this point, um, spring of 2017, I consider myself like 
um, a baby feminist, um, a baby ally, as far as being vocal about it at this point in my life. Um, those topics were extremely important to me, but I I'd yet to figure out how, what did I, how did my actions align with my beliefs on those topics? Um, so spring general conference of 2017, only one woman spoke. And for some reason that really caught me off guard. And I was really upset by it. And I was like, man, how could that have happened? And so, but I wanted to, I wasn't really sure how many do, how many women normally speak. And so I started doing some research and I found that this kind of the max was two women. Uh, there were some variations um, in years past, but what normally would happen that what normally would happen is two women would speak. And I decided that I was going to write a very long Facebook post back in, this is again, 2017 when people still did that. Um, so I wrote a very long Facebook post expressing my concern that I felt like there was a lack of action to support the words that we were hearing um, from our leadership about the voices of women. Um, I felt like there were beautiful talks um, specifically from our prophet saying that, you know, we need women's voices. We need you to speak up in conferences or meetings. We need you to, um, to be aware. Oh, sorry. There's a, I'm sorry. There's a knocking and I don't, I think it's at the neighbors, but I was just catching me off guard. Um, so I just felt like there was a gap. Um, and I, I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with that feeling. So I wrote this long Facebook post. It ended up going like kind of like Mormon viral. And the whole situation ended with me writing a letter to um, President Nelson and expressing my feelings, my thoughts. And because I had worked at the church prior, um, I had an understanding of kind of like the basic pattern that church emails follow. So I made four good guesses and I sent this email off. One bounced back, one, um, or maybe it's three emails because one bounced back. One was another church employee replied and said, like, I'm not who you think I am. Um, and then one I never heard from, except for a few days later, I got a letter um, from President Nelson. It was um, very nice. And, and um, I think very much the kind of letter that I expected. Um, it didn't give a lot of details, um, but it, it felt nice to at least know that the letter was received and um, read. But as I shared that, the reason why I share about the experience is because that was the very first time that I had a personal experience of following personal revelation and doing so put me on kind of like the outside of what was the approved mold for a good Mormon girl. Um, other than not being married and not being a mother, I, at that point in my life, had very much met every standard of what made a good Mormon girl. Uh, and that was really difficult to receive the kind of backlash that I received. Um, and do and from people in my own community and my faith community um, and for doing something that I felt truly led to do. There can be real discomfort when we start um, talking about someone receiving personal revelation that deviates from the approved gen general authority norms and standards. Um, I felt a lot of, I have felt a lot of guidance from my loving heavenly parents. Um, and I really, really believe that my, my life is the best life for me and helping me accomplish my purpose uh, over the last few years. And I, in preparation for this, I like went back on my Instagram to try to figure out when exactly things happened, when I started shifting um, some of my messaging or the way that I handled thing on, things on social media. I discovered that I have only been really seriously trying to use social media to have important conversations for four years. Th those four years feel like they've been a lifetime. Um, and uh, over those four years, I've had a lot of experience 
different experiences where following a prompting um, or trying to do what was the proper thing or important thing for me to do led me outside of what was considered the norm. And the one of the interesting things about it is, you know, I hear from hundreds, if not thousands of people giving their feedback on what I'm saying or asking questions or uh, responding. <clears throat> and um, obviously when you're talking about tricky topics, uh, it's very easy for people to be polarized. And it's often the people who feel most passionately, um, most sometimes most opposed are those that feel the most driven to share and respond. And <clears throat> the interesting thing is that I can hear messages from both like the people who have left the church um, and are kind of far in one direction. And then the same message can come from someone who is like deeply in the middle of the boat, locked in with the EFY t-shirt on. Essentially the same message that I hear from both of those sides is how dare you believe what you believe and be in this church. So I have spent only the last four years, which again feels like it's been so much longer than that. Um, I've tried to create room in the crowd for people like me. I like kind of have it imagine, I imagine it like when you're at a um, concert and you're standing and you kind of need to like make yourself big in order to create space for other people to come in, your friends to be close. But I try to create people um, who just somehow are different from the variations that we are normally comfortable with. Um, and I try to create space for people whose ideas and beliefs aren't within those acceptable variations. So the way, and the, a way that I explain this is that I see the church as a playground. Um, a playground is a wonderful vehicle or a tool for people to grow and have different experiences, but ultimately the true purpose of a playground is to feel joy. Um, this playground, our church, is large. It has some really wonderful parts. There's swings and there's slides and there's those like wobbly bridges you can run across. Uh, this playground has been really loved. It was definitely difficult to build. Um, there are some really old parts of our playground and there's some brand new parts. Uh, there are certain parts that people just generally really love to play there. And there are other parts that are maybe more on the fringes. Uh, some parts of the playground are old, worn out, or broken. And unfortunately, some of those parts result in very real injuries to people with, in our community playing on this playground. Um, some people sustain such bad injuries that they have to leave the playground and in order to go somewhere where they can heal and feel safe. Uh, and it's truly heartbreaking that a lot of people don't feel ever safe enough to come back to the playground. That's a, that's a big loss for everyone involved. Um, and it can be hard for people who are, it can be hard for people who are having a wonderful time on the playground to even be able to see, but also just even imagine that someone might want to meet or need to choose to leave uh, our playground because we love it so much. Um, I feel very, I, I don't want to say that. What I want to say is I've really benefited because of um, who I am and certain privileges I have. I really benefited from a lot of elements of the playground. I've definitely received some skid needs. I feel like my life has been guided by two loving heavenly parents um, and it's guided me closer to some of the general areas where people experience pain. And I have seen others have much worse pains than me. And I, I feel well enough, I feel secure enough that I can stand near some of those more, I don't, dangerous feels like an extreme word, but some of those more trickier parts, but potentially dangerous actually now that I say that. Um, and if possible, I will try to minimize damage to people, um, minimize pain, uh, or at least if I can't do that, at least be close so that when someone receives an injury, receives a wound that I might be there to offer comfort. Um, and, 
our playground is big. It's really ornate and detailed, um, or maybe intricate is the better word. And again, it can just be hard to know that there's even an issue unless you've experienced it or been close to someone who has. Uh, I try to use my voice as a tool to call attention to the issue. Um, I totally know that it really annoys some people. They're just like, I'm having a blast on this playground. I need you to pipe down. But because I've seen that people are getting hurt, uh, it feels like the most important thing that I can do is to draw attention to some of those pain points. Uh, and hopefully, or and truthfully, I know that I'm just adding my voice to a choir of people who are trying to call attention to some of the pain points um, because uh, we need help to fix it. Uh, we need to gather as a community to fix those pain points. Uh, but we also know that we, we don't have full control, um, but hopefully we can kind of raise enough flags that those who do um, can be touched and to make choices that will reflect our hopes. But my life um, looks very different than I expected it to. Um, and, and it also is very different than what others people expect of my life. Um, I really try to strive to trust my heavenly parents and take full advantage of what they are offering me. Mm, some of the prompting, some of the guidance is different than the norm. And I want to believe that they are really good at their job. And that if I follow them, that only the best can work out for me. Uh, this like striving to trust them and, and really kind of taking their hand and saying like, okay, um, I'm going to go where you want me to go has learned to uh, a relationship with my heavenly parents that uh, is completely new for me or just completely developed in a different way. And it's all based in like a mutual respect and trust that I really love. And in some ways it feels like, I don't even know how to explain it, which I'm sure a lot of people feel like it's hard to explain your relationship with your maker or your God. But um, I believe uh, that God's will is being done in my life. Um, I believe that I haven't stumped the enabling power of the atonement um, as I do things differently. Um, their love is all encompassing. It covers every high in my life and every low, um, the brightest and the darkest moments. And it's endless for me. I believe that I have heavenly parents who will never say to me, mm, we just needed you to love this group of people a little bit less. I just have the hardest time believing that anyone will ever be told that. Um, I know that all that they want for us is all that they have and that their joy and all that they have um, is love. Um, and I feel like in a lot of ways, I, I've become kind of like a lousy Mormon. Uh, at least I know that 22-year-old Rosie looking at 32-year-old Rosie would think she was a lousy Mormon. Uh, but I'm really okay with that. I and have kind of like laugh at, maybe I, I regret that. Um, the emphasis to use the name of Christ more rather than the term Mormon. Uh, there's some parts of it that I don't really understand, but of course, um, but I do really like it because I feel like it helps me create a different, <laughs> differentiate between uh, being a good Mormon and being a good disciple of Christ. So by a lot of standards, because I talk about things that are important to me and, and I, because I try to be an ally or because I am a, just a nasty feminist, um, that that means I no longer fit the good girl Mormon role. And, um, oh darn it, I've lost my train of thought, but I, I'm okay with it. And I, 
really my whole hope in what I'm sharing tonight is simply that um, you'll trust that you uh, believe that you have a savior who's really good at what he does and that he has already died for us and we can't stump him. We can't stump the power of the atonement. Uh, and I believe that there are room, there's room for all sorts of types of disciples of Christ. Um, and even if there's less deviation allowed for what makes a good Mormon, I believe that uh, we all have a mission here and it might look very different from one another, but it still can be absolutely worthwhile and beneficial to you and those around you. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm grateful for this opportunity. Uh, I hope that something that I shared is beneficial to someone. Um, and I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Rosie. Um, we're going to open this up, as we mentioned, to uh, comments and questions from our audience here tonight, both on Zoom and on Facebook. Uh, and while we're waiting for people to kind of uh, chime in a little bit, I, I wonder if maybe Cal and Abby might kind of just give their first impressions or reactions here uh, as people who have uh, maybe also sometimes lived outside of the, the norm or what might be expected. And I'm just, just kind of curious to, to your uh, first impressions or reactions here. I mean, I, I definitely um, related to Rosie's imagery of the, the playground and especially sort of like the ornateness, the largeness of the playground. Um, and I absolutely agree that there's like, for me, I think personally in like my own journey as like a gay member of the church, um, though different and distinct from Rosie's for sure. It's like, there's definitely been items and parts of the church that, you know, are super life giving and life building. And there's also definitely pieces of equipment that are really, um, yeah, have given me a, quite a few skin knees, uh, skin knees, maybe a black eye or two actually. But um, like, and I think, and like, you know, it's, it's, it's been interesting for me because one of the things I, I, you know, started a conversation with a friend today um, a friend who's actually, he's a, he's a professor at Stanford, but we were talking about this. And I, I told him, I was like, I think so much of the, the challenges that we're facing in the church are just our failures of cultural and moral imagination on our part. Like it's, it's not that we can't have like that, like these broken pieces of playground equipment. It's not like these are, that's the way that things have to be. Like ideally, like our, our church should be something that functions beautifully. It should be something that, you know, is constantly in renewal. You know, playgrounds aren't built, you know, and meant to be permanent fixtures. They're meant to be something constantly reconsidered, revised, kept up, you know, things like that. And I think in a lot of respects to our church, we should op, you know, we should adopt that kind of a mindset, you know, move away from this idea that everything has to belong to this, this, you know, the way that it first was and, and rather look at it as something that's under process, something that is under new and something open to revision. And anyways, I really related to that. And I was really grateful for Rosie's, especially like her testimony of um, there being a savior who we can't out, who like nothing in, in the world will outsmart that savior. I think that's, that's something beautiful. And I was really, really appreciate that. Thank you so much for those thoughts, Rosie. We have had a couple comments and questions come in, but Abby, did you want to did you want to uh, jump in before we move to everybody else? Sorry, it's very loud in that section of the house. Um, yeah, um, I. I just think um, that, um, sorry, I, okay. Um, yeah, I, I think oftentimes um, I've kind of had to, um, just when things are, are feeling unsafe and everything, um, I don't know, I think I just take a lot of um, personal solitude and solace in um, just, focusing on my personal relationship with heavenly parents instead of, um, an institutional view, I guess. Um, 
I kind of, I also, it's just part of my personal beliefs that our heavenly parents are okay when we have to take breaks and breathers when um, the, the boat doesn't feel safe. So, yeah. Amen. Yeah. Rosie, I'm looking at the chat, but I often do jump in with my own questions here. I love the um, image of the playground, but I have a feeling that that will to many people who are on the edge who are talking about things that are challenging to the norm um, will feel like a very privileged view, a, a safe view that um, I have personally been scarred by some excommunications and some church discipline that have, a, and, and we're on the eve of one, or we're talking about it tonight, some of us, um, doesn't that scare you? It absolutely does. I mean, the if we're speaking specifically about the excommunication that could happen tonight, um, it terrifies me deeply. It's so concerning that someone might be excommunicated for simply doing their job according to current standards. Um, I obviously, I'm not super familiar with her case, if you will. Um, I wasn't familiar with her prior to a few days ago. Um, but after over looking over the things that she could potentially be getting excommunicated for from, I have been doing all of those things for four years very publicly in a very well-documented manner. So um, it is very concerning to me. Uh, I feel so sad that we don't feel like we are strong enough to sustain um, voices that are different. Uh, I, I think that's selling this community pretty cheap. Um, but I think that it's clearly something that we still need to work on in order to make room for people's voices who are different. Like I said, I've, I've had definite experiences, but I don't pretend to think I have had the, the extremity that some people have. I and mean, I wouldn't try to do that. And like kind of piggybacking off of that too, I'm seeing like a lot of like questions come up here in the chat. You are like, without question, one of the most like, I mean, you acknowledge yourself, you have a very like well-documented history of sort of um, what Juanita Brooks would have called riding the edge of the herd. You know, being like one of those, one of the cowboys on like the edge of like the herd of the sheep, like helping it and calling out where needed. Um, and like, I'm curious, like one of these questions here, we have a lot of people asking how, um, uh, like, what are some of like the best strategies you've seen for engaging? Like, you your your brand engages a massive swath of people, like in all sides of the church. What what are some of what would you give as sort of advice to people who are also trying to do that, or even just navigating some things like that in their own families? Um, I think. Mm, that's a that's a tricky that's a tricky question I mean I'm so it's kind of broad but also specific obviously um something that has been really beneficial for me is coming to the place where I feel really confident in having my own ideas and I'm really okay or my own beliefs I'm really okay if you don't agree with me uh I my ideas and beliefs have changed enough and have developed enough to know that they will continue to do so. Um, and I find discussion, um, talking about new ideas and potentials and hypotheticals to be so much more interesting than the same things over and over and over again. Like we can go to Sunday school and we all can give the right answers and say the things to not disturb anything. Um, and, that to me is damnation. <laughs> that to me is like, there's no worries, the progress. Um, and so I, I like to ask questions and I like to kind of 
encourage thought in ways that are different because it's thought, you know, like, are we not supposed to have thought and to consider different options um, and to think that maybe there is something new that we could learn. Um, this idea of the restoration in um, Patrick Mason's new book, Restoration, God's Call to the 21st Century Church, like that book is incredible. And it's all built around this idea that the restoration is of a people um, and it's not of a church structure. And that as we you know, use these beautiful, simple principles that we have been given. We are doing our role in restoring God's people. And there are lots of roles, um, lots of, you know, lots of playgrounds. There, there are lots of really vital ways to come at this mission, but this, this is the one that I'm in right now. That's for whatever reason, this is the one that God has placed me in. And um, that I will try to use those plain and simple truths to help restore a people in any small way that I can. One of the questions that we've got, uh, so, so Cal asked a great one around, um, you know, how to engage in change here. But uh, another question that we've got is, how do you stay or stay in the boat, the, the, the well-known phrase here, when the boat feels unsafe? Um. It's really hard. Um, I, because I am a white middle-class straight woman, I don't, I don't think I can speak to the boat being unsafe for me personally. Um, there definitely are unsafe feelings when it comes to being a woman in this church. Um, and my, I don't always feel as valued. I don't feel like a lot of the teachings um, that I received growing up valued me as a equal individual to my male counterparts. Um, but as far as the unsafe feeling that um, many of our LGBTQ siblings might feel, I don't feel like that's my place to speak to that. Um, it, but I can say I have experiences where I know um, that there are people who really are in close proximity to me and really disagree with me at church. Um, and in that, uh, that way, there are been times where I felt unsafe. But those aren't people that I respect. <laughs> uh, and I'm not, I refuse to let that person make such a huge choice for me in relation to whether or not I stay or if I go. Um, my testimony is between me and my heavenly parents. That's the most important thing to me. Everything else, you know, aside from the savior, everything else is secondary in my mind. Um, and I strive to hold on to the things that are helpful to me, hold on to the things that were good um, and benefit from those. Um, but um, if there are things that feel unsafe to me, um, I'm okay with not deeply partaking in those parts. I, I love the idea that you are taking authority in your own hands. Um, and that's, I think, the point of your, your title and your comments, that this is revelation, this is inspiration to you. And this is what you understand and believe. I'm trying to put some words back in your mouth, but uh, that's a, uh, is one of the questions that then comes up in a, in a hierarchical institutional church and family structures. Um, is there, is there anybody who's, is there anybody who could tell you stop, don't speak? Oh my gosh, that is such a great question. <laughs> I mean, there are, yeah, of course, there are people, and there's, there have been plenty of people who have told me to stop, <laughs> don't speak. Um, I've had, you know, people access my phone number from LDS Tools and anonymously text me um, and telling me to stop and don't speak, and that God doesn't need a vagina to share His word. Um, so. Yeah, any, anyone could tell me whatever they want. I'm assuming that you're saying more like, could the leadership tell me to stop speaking? And they're 
within their authority to try to do that. Um, I, um, I think probably ultimately I would need to know that that command came from God. That, 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 that call, I would have to have a, a belief um, that that was a message from my heavenly parents. Uh, because ultimately, um, I may have, I may, I can't even remember if I say this, so I may have skipped it, but ultimately, like, I am the one that has to be accountable for my actions, right? It's Adam and Eve. It's, it's Eve. I'm going to be the one to own it. I don't, I don't want to say um, that guy told me to do it. So I did it. I, I want to be like Eve. I want to say this is the choice that was laid ahead of me and these are the choices that I made. So um, anyone could tell me to do anything. Um, and there's definitely people within more jurisdiction to do that than others. Uh, but ultimately I am the one that has stewardship over me and my own actions. And so I am the one that will need to know whether or not something like that were to come from God. I love the way you connect that back to Eve. Um, I, that is a fundamental part of our, our Mormon heritage is the story of Eve as a strong woman. Mm -hmm. a, a true leader. Yeah, Rosie, so many of your, your thoughts and, and your, uh, your stuff that you've expressed tonight come from and, and to circle back to really deeply Mormon heritage, you know, I, like your, your, um, your quote about, you know, not thinking or not learning being literally being damnation. That's, that's a deeply, deeply, we don't think of it that way, but it's a deeply, deeply Latter-day Saint expression, you know, our belief in internal progression. And I was reminded so much of Hubie Brown's, um, Hubie Brown's famous quote, you know, the we are we the brethren are not so much concerned about what your thoughts are so much that you have thoughts um anyways i i hope people know too that dialogue itself you know we have this massive uh if, if people are interested have a massive archive um of people you know trying to work together and and ask questions and and look through um our own history and our own findings too and i think also like this goes totally in line with what you're doing at at q nor you're one of the brilliant points of, of light, I think, throughout the Mormon diaspora. And I, I, I think, I, and I guess what my question is too, and what I see, I have, I have a number of friends that are texting me right now um, asking about what is the foundation of your hope? Like you, you went out into the world as, you know, this amazing runway model, very successful, and you, you came back and you, you've built your, your house here in, in Mormonism, I'm curious, what gives you hope? Why, what, what is there? What is, what is your, what is that foundation for you? Could you share a little bit about that? Um, yeah, uh, I think it just goes back to like my deepest, truest belief that like, that our heavenly parents have this figured out uh, that, that they, even if we could throw a curveball at them, that they are perfectly equipped to, um, I don't know if on this analogy it would be hit, catch, I don't know what the curveball, um, they would be perfectly prepared to respond to any type of situation. Um, and um, this, this organization, this church is, it's such, it's woven into every part of me. This fiber, it's not something that could just be like, pulled out and say like, well, I'm done with this piece. Like it's, it's everything I know. Um, and even in times where I've felt like, oh, I, I, it would be so much easier not to share some of these things. It would be so much easier to um, not specifically speak to church topics. Um, I just simply feel called back to that again and again. And uh like I mentioned earlier in Patrick's book, he, he explains the, um, the body of Christ kind of like more as a farm and that certain people are communities, groups, religions are given different plots in this farm. And I have been born and taught and 
and done my apprenticeship on this corner of the farm. And I know how to grow and I'm trying, I spent my whole life focused on like some of the very specific crops that we grow in this corner. Um, do I think that other corners are wonderful and good? Yes. And I believe they're absolutely vital to the success and growth of the farm, but this is what I know. Um, so for now, for me, that's where I stay and that's where I try to help um, a, a message that I really get passionately from people is um, if if you are truly an ally, um, then you can't be in the church. Um, or if you're tr truly trying, striving to be an ally, you can't be in the church. Uh, but the thing that I always come back to is if everyone who's striving to be an ally left, who would be there for the gay kids? <laughs> like who would be there for a closeted youth? Who would, who would be there for LGBTQ adults that are closeted? So like who would be there for them? Um, so because I believe that God will continue to send his perfect, wonderful children into this world through partially this church, I believe that there are need for people who are striving to better this church because it still affects a lot of lives, a tiny, tiny portion of all of the lives, but those lives value are um, important. And I'm in this corner of the farm, so I'm going to try to help. Gosh, we are so lucky to have you in, in our corner of the vineyard, yeah. of the farm. Thank you so much, Rosie, for that. So, um, <laughs> Oh, go ahead, Chris. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead, David. I, I was just going to ask, Rosie, you gave us uh, such a great kind of uh, uh, story of the, the arc and the trajectory of your life. And you talked about it kind of, you framed it as a kind of hinging on this this one moment of uh, general conference, right? Um, and it seems that a lot seemed to have turned on that one moment for you. But I suspect that the story may be a little bit more complicated because you mentioned that you had some of these kinds of questions or concerns or, or, or feelings or sympathies. Uh, uh, and so uh, what sort of drew you to be thinking about uh, uh, sort of feminist activism and, and allyship and what, you know, as you were kind of going through your 20s over the last decade, you know, um, what, what were some other events or moments or things that helped you to kind of start to want to rethink some of those things? Um, I think I really, I really believe it's part of God's plan for me. Um, so I feel like there have been like tons of just little experiences that have created me um, and created formed and shaped my ideas. Um, one being I was raised by a mom who wasn't afraid to uproot all of her five children, one of them being like nine months old, I think. And we moved to, from Utah to New York um, so that she could go back to school. And I was raised with four sisters who were all, were all vastly different and independent and, and taught that kind of the achievement is an expectation, which can be a tricky uh, whole other conversation, but um, it's really pushed us to work really hard. But uh, like I mentioned, so there have been certain talks that have really highlighted the value of women. And I, I believed those talks, you know, these, the teachings of our doctrine and of our leadership that's who I've learned from. And so that's why I've come to this place. Um, striving to gain, really believe that like mothers are important. So therefore my heavenly mother is really important. That has been huge. And believing that, you know, that she, um, she's not a 1950s housewife that needs to be protected and shielded by her husband, that she is a goddess of great power and authority. Um, and she's a big girl and she can handle it herself, like herself with her kid, if her kids say things. So um, Heavenly Mother has been huge in that. But yeah, I think it's just been little thing, little things lined up. That general conference post was definitely the first time I was super vocal about something. Um, and it was at that point that I was starting to gain more of an audience. So it became more public. Uh, could you um, relate your move? This is, I guess, an intersectional question or, or um, a story of your life, I guess, moving from feminism, from feminist issues, which is what you're describing 
to LGBTQ and other kinds of issues that you that you do speak about. I, what 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 takes you through that kind of arc of of concerns and things you speak out about? Yeah. So when I was a uh, model. Um, I had great success and great experiences, but I also wasn't the most successful model. And um, my agent and his boyfriend one summer in New York were kind enough to invite me to move into their home, in their apartment. Um, so when I was 17 years old, uh, I lived with a this gay couple um, and I had no understanding of... I knew that was not the norm. Um, I, my understanding at that point was like that that's not good. Um, but we also were taught to be loving. And, and so it was really the example. Um, I would sleep on their couch and then like roll blankets out at night and roll them back up in the morning. And I remember one night I was I rolled my blanket out and I was, you know, reading my little book of Mormon and, and one of them came and sat next to me and he just said like, what does your church teach you about gay people? Uh, and I you know, just stumble over my words and said something about the proclamation to the world on the family. And, and I'm sure it was not great, uh, but he was so generous with me and just started sharing bit by bit his experience. And, and his wisdom and his knowledge. And, and I have been grateful my, for my, grateful my entire life that he and his boyfriend were willing to share with me and educate me. Um, and so that was really the beginnings of like, these people seeing a gay couple in such close proximity um, was my ed early education and how wonderful um, and supportive and, everything that I would hope for in a marriage was exemplified for me in their marriage, um, or at least some really great things. Um, so that was kind of the beginning of me feeling really um, drawn to this community that felt like a unique experience that I could kind of have in New York and then bring home with me in Utah and kind of help that guide me. Um, and then just, of course, loved ones and family members, friends who have come out over the course of the last that would be like 15 years since I had that experience um so that's why I care I just that that's a lot of rambling to say if Jesus I believe that if Jesus Christ were walking here on this earth there's no doubt in my mind where he would be um he would be with our LGBTQ siblings wrapping his arms around them we have I just is like where else would he be I'm, he's not at the cob, I'll tell you that much. Like he's, he's got other things to do. And it's not saying that, I'm not saying that Jesus is not in the cob. I'm just saying he's with his people, his sheep that need him the very most. Um, those that have been pushed out into the edges of the field. Um, those who have been left out in the elements without like safety arms wrapped around them. So that's where I believe that Jesus would be. So I tried to be there too. Rosie, thank you so much for being so generous with your time and your testimony this evening and for sharing your your talents and your voice with us. It's been a, a real pleasure. Um, we're going to go ahead and, and wrap up. I think we're just about on the, the hour here. Uh, and uh, Calvin, I think you've got our closing prayer. I do. Thank you so much, Rosie. Our Father in heaven, we love thee. We are so grateful for this evening that we were able to gather together and to hear uh, Rosemary Card speak. We're grateful for her, for her testimony. We're grateful for the work that she does. We're grateful for her generosity, for her kindness, and for her wisdom. We also, Heavenly Father, thank thee for the power of her story and for her example. We pray, Heavenly Father, that she might be strengthened, that she might be able to continue to be a light to the world. We ask the Heavenly Father as well to bless each and every one of us. We might be able to remember the things which we learned tonight, that we might be blessed with thy power and, and thy authority, that we might be able to stand as witnesses of thee at all times, especially on the behalf of those who are marginalized and who are downtrodden. We ask thee for a special blessing upon all of us, that we might be able to speak 
to speak clearly and to speak with charity and love that we may be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We pray a special blessing as well during this time of global turmoil that those who are most suffering might find peace and might find safety and security. We pray as well that we might be led to those whom we can strengthen and whom we can help, that we might be able to be thy hands here on the earth. We pray for these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Dialogue Podcast Network.